Hey everybody, this is Adam Giardino, broadcaster for the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, and welcome inside another episode of A Call Away. We'll take a look up and down the New York Yankees minor league system with an extra special focus on the top level here in AAA. This week we'll get you the highlights as the Rail Riders went on the road for six days, three days out in Indianapolis, three more days in Toledo. Seven games total. Friday was a doubleheader, so we'll get you caught up on the comings and goings for the Rail Riders out in the IL West. We'll run down a couple of interviews, one with manager Jay Bell, checking in with him at the quarter mile mark of the season. 140-game season here in the minors, and we passed the 35-game mark last week. And also infielder Ghost K. Coteau. We've talked a lot about him on the podcast as a guy that isn't on the 40-man roster, but had caught the IL by storm. The numbers had settled down quite a bit for Goske to the point where he had even gone down to double-A Trenton for a bit. Well, he's back up in triple-A, and we'll get a chance to catch up with him, talk to him about his upbringing and even his relationship with Ichiro. We've got Adam Marco, voice of the Rail Riders, on the show for some broadcast banter. We discuss Goske Kato and Mandy Alvarez, a couple of guys that hit over 300 in their time with Scranton Wilkes-Barre before getting demoted, sent down to double-A. Talk about a couple of hot catchers for Scranton Wilkes-Barre, Kyle Higashioka and Ryan LaVarnway, and the state of the Rail Riders' bullpen, how it's been an absolute revolving door this year, but otherwise the numbers have been more than passable. And then at the end of the show, just as we do each week, we've got a report from the other levels of the minor league system, single-A Charleston with Matt Dean, Double-A with John Moses and the Trenton Thunder, and right here in Triple-A with Adam Marco. Without further ado, let's jump into the highlights. And the first two days of the road trip, first two days of the week, well, they didn't go so well. Losses at the hands of the Indianapolis Indians, Triple-A affiliate of the Pittsburgh Pirates. On Tuesday, they were dealt a tough hand by Mitch Keller, someone that was on a call away. He was the bonus guest last week top prospect in the Pirates system, struck out eight over six innings, consistently flashing a mid to upper 90s fastball, Indianapolis 1-4-2. The next day, Scranton Wilkes-Barre and Indianapolis were tied at five in the top of the fifth inning, but then Indy broke the tie in the bottom of the fifth inning with a Jose Osuna single, and the bullpens battled the rest of the way, 6-5 the final, so Indy was up two games to none in the three-game series. Then it got to Thursday. And Scranton Wilkes-Barre started to flex its muscles. The game began with a triple from Trey Ambergy. Ryan McBroom drove him home with a ground out, but Indianapolis tied it in the bottom half of the first inning. So it was 1-1 into the fourth, and that was when Scranton Wilkes-Barre got the bats going. A couple of lineouts began the frame, but then off of Dario Agrizal, somebody who had walked two batters over nearly 50 innings on the season. He walked back-to-back hitters, Kyle Higashioka and Brad Miller, to bring up Cliff Pennington. The pitch. Swing and a fly ball lifted to right field. The right fielder, Osuna, puts his hands out, doesn't see it. He turns around. It doesn't matter. It's on to the berm and gone for Cliff Pennington. The wind's blowing the other way. And Cliff Pennington tugs one to right field for a three-run shot. Scranton Wilkes-Barre leads 4-1. That was part of a larger flurry. Four runs in the frame, and with two outs, six straight men reached off of Agrizal, ultimately knocking him from the game. 
Scranton Wilkesbury led 5-1 going into the fifth inning, and we already heard the home run from Pennington. Scranton Wilkesbury deciding to double up with some homers in the fifth. 2-1 pitch, high fly to left field. Higashioka to the warning track, and it's gone. Bounces it up the berm in left field. And Higgy goes for a solo blast, extends his hitting streak eight in a row. And the Rail Riders now lead it 6-1 here at Victory Field. Miller with a drive towards left center field. On the move back, Jason Martin. And this is gone. It's back-to-back home runs. Higashioka, Brad Miller. And Miller drives it out of the deepest portion of Victory Field. 418 to left center, and he puts it on the berm beyond that. 7-1 the lead. 7-1 the lead for the Rail Riders. They hung on for a 7-4 victory. Even though in the bottom of the ninth inning, Indianapolis loaded the bases and ultimately brought the winning run to the plate. Scranton Wilkesbury then hit the road northeast for about four hours, and they landed in Toledo, Ohio. Friday began a doubleheader, and the Rail Riders had a 2-0 lead in the top of the second inning when Mike Ford led off the third. A 2-1 pitch. Swing and a rocket out to right field. This one's gone, and look out if you're in the warehouse. That goes down an adjacent alley. It's clear out of fifth third field. That gave Scranton Wilkesbury a 3-0 lead. A couple more runs in the inning, and it was 5-0 Scranton Wilkesbury. Part of a larger 10-5 victory in game one. Game two of the doubleheader went to the Toledo Mud Hens, a 5-0 victory. But one of the wackiest plays of the season happened in the top of the fifth. It was already 4-0 Toledo. Raynell Espinal was on the mound, and the batter was Jamer Candelario. Espinal delivers the pitch, a swing, and a fly ball right field. This one's hit well. Back at the track, at the wall, Talkman looks up, and it's high off the fencing, and it stays in the ballpark. It kicks to center field. Candelario to third. They give him the wave. Here's the throw from Pennington to the plane. They got him! No inside-the-park homer for Candelario. And the Rail Riders with a first out unexpectedly so to begin the fifth inning. That went Mike Talkman to Cliff Pennington to Ryan LaVarnway, 9-6-2 on the putout at the plate. Candelario gets credit with the triple, Talkman the outfield assist. So a 5-0 victory for Toledo. They split the doubleheader on Friday. And on Saturday, Scranton Wilkesbury came away with the win. It was a back-and-forth affair, and it was tied at three in the top of the eighth inning. Kyle Higashioka led the inning off with a single. He was sacrificed into scoring position by Tyler Wade. A strikeout followed, so Higgy was still in scoring position with two outs, but Brad Miller had other ideas. Runner on at second. The 0-1 pitch. Line drive. Base hit. Jay Bell's going to send the runner to the plate. They'll test the arm of Daz Cameron. The ball cut off by Pete Cosma. It's an RBI single for Brad Miller and the Rail Riders in front. 4-3 in the top half of the eighth inning. That was the go-ahead single and the game-winning single in the top of the eighth inning. Scranton-Wilkes-Barre, a 4-3 victory. So six games into the road trip, the Rail Riders had split three games apiece with Indy and Toledo. The rubber game for the entire road trip came on Sunday, and the forecast wasn't great, but the rains really held off deep into the ballgame. And in the top of the sixth inning, Scranton-Wilkes-Barre trailed 3-1. And the inning went with a flyout for Mike Talkman. Ryan LaVarnway doubled. Tyler Wade struck out. 
and newcomer Bravik Valera then stepped into the box. Here's the pitch. It's a swing and a fly ball. Left field. This sends Woodrow back. He turns around. He looks up, and it's gone. This game is tied in the top of the sixth. Second homer in just a handful of games for Bravik Valera. So it was 3-3, but Toledo scored the run in the bottom of the seventh. Go-ahead run, and then the Reigns drove in and drove that one to an early completion. An eight-inning affair, a 4-3 victory for Toledo, dropping Scranton Wilkes-Barre to 21-18 and on the season. During that week-long road trip, the Rail Riders hit that game 35 mark, and so we decided it was time to check in with manager Jay Bell. And what we wanted to know from Jay was what he thought the temperature was on the team quarter of the way into the 2019 season. Not totally disappointed with what we've done. We're, I think, four games over 500, something like that, and we've actually played a pretty decent brand of baseball. We've had our share of moments where we haven't played very well, but overall, the guys have been extremely competitive. They've gone out, they've worked hard, they've sought excellence every single day, and they've let the results be what they were going to be. And I've uh, been thrilled. I've been disappointed. I've been not so much about the play, but some of the some of the stuff that I've had to do, some of the moves that I've had to make. Last night was the first game, and three years that I did not have Gosuke Kato on my on my roster, and uh, was a little disappointed in that. But I understand we're exactly where we're at within the organization. We've got some guys that are here right now that we're trying to find out if they can be uh, helped to the big league team at some point this year so that we can win a championship for the New York Yankees. I certainly love to, to win here in Scranton, but in order to help that team win, that's my that's my objective, my priority every day, and along with making sure that uh, these guys are uh, continuing to go out and giving a great deal of effort for the organization, for the people, and for the fans there in Scranton. You mentioned Gosuke Kato. His average was over 300 at the time that you had to have that conversation with him. Same goes for Mandy Alvarez. When you have those conversations with Mandy and Gosuke, how much do you reiterate to them that it might not necessarily have been anything that they did that prompted their getting sent down to Trenton? It's hard to soften the blow anytime that you have to have a conversation with them about getting sent to a lower level. It, it is certainly, it is to a certain degree, a demotion. Although that's only an appearance, it's not so much in the minds and hearts of the people that know, know them well and, and value them. Um, it was just a, a situation where they needed to go and they needed to play. They needed to get at-bats, regular at-bats. With uh, what was going on here, they weren't going to get those regular at-bats. So with that being said, you have the conversation with them. It's going to be disappointing for both of us. But at the same time, you make sure that they understand that you know how much they're valued and how much I care about them, and the organization cares about them. But uh, you know those two guys in particular that you mentioned, Mandy and Gosuke, I've had them a lot over the last several years, and so I am connected to them to a greater degree than most managers would. And so it is. It's difficult to give them that news, but at the same time, they understood it, and it was probably a little easier for Gosuke because he he saw a few moves prior to him being sent out. It, it benefits him, and uh, it also allows us to, again, see what Logan can do for us. Uh, also uh, with Brad and with Cliff, you know, those, those guys are playing hard. They're, they're still trying to figure out how to get going and trying to figure out how to make sure that everybody gets equal playing time so that they can stay ready to get to the big leagues. We're here with manager Jay Bell on the pregame show. Something that we've talked over the first quarter of the season on the radio broadcast is the fact that more often than not, you're in the dugout managing from there. 
before the season. You said this is sort of something newer for you. You wanted to get that big league type managerial feel where you're in the dugout. How has that gone for you? It's gone okay for me. It it allows uh, Doug to enjoy the game a little bit more also. You know, last year he was in the bullpen a lot. And, you know, Doug is 56 years old. I'm 53. Knowing what he feels like going down there and trying to catch some of these guys that are throwing 95, 96, it's not easy. And so, you know, for me, this works uh, and it allows him to get and to be part of the team on a regular basis. And, uh, And it allows me to do something that I've been unfamiliar with to a great extent over the course of my career. Although I have managed some games at the big league level, whenever my manager's been thrown out or been vacant for whatever reason, the flow of putting signs on is uh, is a little bit different whenever you're doing it from the bench. But at the same time, I enjoy going out there every once in a while and being uh, close to the action and as close to playing as you possibly can get as a coach. So it's fun to get out there, but Dougie's been, um, he's enjoyed himself out there as well. So it just kind of works. It allows me to have more time communicating with the players, with Tommy, and from a pitching standpoint, and also with Phil, you know, from the hitting side too. So it's, uh, I think it's been pretty beneficial. One final question here, as we talk with manager Jay Bell on the pregame show, you have a busy schedule. Well, your son is living the same existence right now in Double A. So, how often are you able to communicate with him between your busy schedule, his busy schedule, and just connect on a father-son level? The nice thing with Brantley playing in Chattanooga this year is we're in the same time zone, so a lot of our games are at the same time. So I get to talk to him on a semi-regular basis. The nice thing about him being in Double A this year is that I get to see a lot of his games too. So I get to see his at bats. We utilize our uh, scouting portal that we have with the Yankees. I can see a lot of his at-bats and see what he's doing statistically, and it's fun. And uh, so I do. I talk to him a lot. It's been fun to watch his uh, first year in AA and see how well he's doing. And uh, At the same time, it's been fun to watch my youngest son, Brock, and, and uh, see what he's done down in college. And he just finished his college season. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do next and look forward to seeing him in another week or so. Welcome back inside A Call Away. Adam Giardino with you. It's time for some broadcast banter. And for that, we need the voice of the Rail Riders, Adam Marco. Welcome back. Good day to you, sir. All right. It's a good day for Gosuke Kato as we record this. Gosuke back up from Double A Trenton. Mandy Alvarez and Gosuke Kato Last week, we're both sent down. They're both hitting 300 with the Rail Riders. Roster moves, roster shuffling, prompting these sort of moves. And it's just, it's an interesting dynamic of AAA where you have this roster breakdown of veterans versus young guys. And it just goes to show that even when you're, you're playing well, sometimes things are out of your hands. We experienced last year with Ryan McBroom and Zach Zaner, guys that were leading the team in hitting or leading the club in home runs and were sent back down to double-A Trenton. As the Yankees get healthy, we were anticipating that something would have to happen. You think back to opening week when the team got to Scranton and even opening day up in Buffalo. There were names added to that very first official roster that just appeared and matriculated into J-Bell's lineup from day one. Now, we knew Ghost K was going to be here at the onset of the season, but Mandy Alvarez was a addition on opening day. Trey Ambergie was one of those additions on opening day. So it's the product of the Yankees finally getting healthy or getting healthier that you're forced to make the difficult decisions. And I know Jay Bell 
talked about it, that he's used to having Ghost K. Kato on his roster. He's had him each of the last couple of years. So it's a comfortability that he has with guys like Alvarez, who played so very well. He was hitting well when he was sent down. He was probably playing the best defense of any player on the diamond for the Rail Riders at that point. But in the experience range of things, you need him playing every day. You need a Ghost K playing every day. And with Logan Morrison added and Tyler Wade down from the Yankees and Brad Miller, it was just there wasn't enough space on this field to get guys like Ghost K Kato in and Mandy Alvarez. And even when Ghost K was still on the roster, before getting sent down, he was playing once every four days. That's not going to benefit him at this stage when he is still relatively young in his development, seeing pitching on a consistent basis. You don't want to take him out of the lineup, so you have to put him down in Trenton. It's just a nature of the beast, especially as the Yankees get healthier. We're going to have to go through another round of this again when Giancarlo Stanton comes off the injured list, when Didi comes off the IL. We're going to see it all again over in you know early June, perhaps mid-June. The numbers for Ghostke when he went down to double-A Trenton, five games down there, four hits. He was four for 13, so a little better than 300 with the batting average. And it's interesting because when he was sent down, it, it was a roster crunch situation, but he wasn't playing particularly well. He was one of the best hitters over the first several weeks in the International League, but over his last chunk of games with the Rail Riders, he was only three for 26, and two of those three hits were bunt singles. So uh, what do you think that that mentality, that mind frame is for him going down to double A, having success, and now needing to come back to a place where he had not so long ago was struggling? Honestly, I don't know. If only because you don't know how they're going to react, players will react being sent down and shuttled back and forth. We use that Scranton shuttle term for guys going to New York, but really I think there could be an effect, just like you see guys coming from the big city here, but that same effect going down to double A. And I think Gosuke knows that it was his month of April that kept him out of the conversation earlier. And the month of May is the reason why. So it could really serve as a wake up call for him that he needs to focus. He needs to do what he was doing in the month of April rather than the first few weeks here in May. And maybe he's able to turn things around in this second stint on the roster. Guys that didn't necessarily struggle at any point, but have certainly picked up their play of lately, uh, of late, has been the the catching tandem of Kyle Higashioka and Ryan Lavarnway. Higgy went up to the big leagues for a stretch, but ever since he's come down, he's been red hot. And in the month of May, as we record this, there have been 17 games for Scranton Wilkesbury, and the catcher, whoever has started at catcher, be it Higashioka, be it Lavarnway, they've reached safely in all 17 of those games, combining for a 360 average and a 500 on base percentage. These are two veterans who are starting to show that veteran presence in the middle of this lineup. Lavarnway has been a nice increase in the offense this year. I'm most impressed with what Kyle Higashioka has done, having. Watched him play a little bit last year, and he spent the bulk of his season, his summer up in New York when Gary Sanchez was out. Kyle really struggled offensively in 2018, and this is a resurgence of sorts, and and at some point might even be beyond what he had done for his career from an average perspective, from a consistency perspective. 
it is easier and easier to understand why J-Bell keeps his catchers in the four spot in this order. And it is a newfangled lineup of sorts with Mike Ford leading off and you put a hot bat right now in the two spot of the order. It's not necessarily your traditional build of a lineup. And typically, if I were to build the lineup, I would say, all right, Higgy, LaVarnway probably hit somewhere in the five through eight spots of this order. But Jay bell has been doing this for the last couple of weeks now, this back and forth, left, right, left, right. So it puts the catcher in that cleanup spot, and they've produced. I don't know if we're quite to the point of LaVarnway or Higashioka replacing Mike Ford as the leadoff man in this lineup, <laughs> but for as much as they're getting on base, it wouldn't shock me that one of these days, if we go back to trying two in the lineup again, that Higgy's batting second, LaVarnway's batting fourth, just as an opportunity to get those max OBP guys out there. And they've been so good. And you and you talk about Higashioka's numbers. He's been injured the last couple of years playing fewer than 80 games a year ago in 2017 he was limited to about 30 games his last full healthy season he played over 100 games in 2016 between double a trenton triple a scranton wilkesbury and the average was good it was a 276 average but the home runs were really impressive that year 21 homers in 102 games and we're starting to see the pop in the bat of higashioka return as the weather starts to warm up here in the international league Last thing we'll talk about is the bullpen for Scranton Wilkesbury, and we've seen so many guys go up and down, and whether that's Joseph Harvey, whether that's been Jake Barrett, Stephen Tarpley, guys that have been pulled out of the rotation here where Chance Adams, Nestor Cortez has gone up, and they've factored into the bullpen up in New York. It's just been a hodgepodge of guys that have come and gone, guys coming off the disabled list, and for the most part, things... Things have held that we've that we've started to see some pretty consistent results from from guys that uh, have helped contribute to some late wins for the Rail Riders. You talk about a few of the names, the guys that have gone up to help at the big league level. There are a few guys that I think could be on the cusp if it weren't for the Jake Barretts and Stephen Tarpleys. I've been impressed with J.P. Fireisen more and more this year. I think his control and he was. Dinged at the end of last season, had to undergo surgery, came back very quickly, and JP looks like a very live arm, a fresh arm that we didn't really see midway and on last year. I think Kale Kosho has been a lot better this season than he was last year, and Kosho suffered in 2018 because of one bad outing. May 28th at PNC Field against Syracuse, and his ERA never recovered. Last year, we had Cody Carroll, then Joe Harvey, if you were looking at save scenarios. And now, to me, it's Kosho and with Harvey back, you're two key guys that you would give those save opportunities to. I really like the composure that Kosho has shown on the mound this year. Fire Eisen's body language every once in a while gets the best of him for me. Yep. If a ball leaves the bat and he thinks it's out, he reacts as such. There's still a little bit of work to be done before they have that chance to be a big leaguer, but I don't think they're that far away. I think both Kosho and Fire Eyes and guys that have not yet made that jump to the big leagues, I think that you're looking at someone who could help June, July, August, maybe even September for the Yankees this year. 
Adam Marco, Broadcast Banter, the segment. Thank you so much. We will talk to you again next week. Sounds good. One of the guys we talked about earlier on in this segment goes Kay Coteau. He's back in AAA with Scranton Wilkes-Barre. And that's good because whether he was back or not, we were going to play an interview with him that we had recorded last week. Really fascinating guy and someone that I think we're going to meet with a whole bunch this year on the pregame show. And so this is going to be the first of many conversations with Goske. There are so many layers to who he is as a ball player, who he is as a person. And for someone who had so much success at the beginning of the year, it's rather remarkable that it took this long for us to have him on the pregame show. So without further ado, Goske Kato, infielder for the Rail Riders, is our guest and just checking in with him a little over a month into the season, we wanted to know how things have gone so far with his time in Scranton. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun here in Scranton. I love the fans. I love the environment that we're in. I love my teammates. And it's awesome to see so many guys, you know, go up from here, especially with all the injuries and not just go up, but go up and succeed and be a huge part of the, the, the big guys. You know, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, the rest of the season. When we think about all those injuries and guys going up, in many ways, that was a large reason why you're here. That beginning of the season, before the Rail Riders had started, there were a lot of injuries. So you kind of had planned on being in AA. You came to AAA. What was your mindset coming out of spring training when you realized, okay, here's my opportunity in AAA after playing a year all last year in AA? Yeah, I mean, to me, it didn't really matter where I played. I was just going to go and try to perform as, as best as possible and try to help the team win. And it, it definitely helped that Jay Bell was the manager here because I played for him the past two years. So, and not only that, but I played with most of the teammates back in AA last year. So, the change in scenery wasn't as hard as I expected. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun so far. One of the questions we've been asking a lot of these guys, hitters particularly, the new baseballs. They're the major league baseballs, but they're being used in the minors and AAA for the first time. Some of the numbers for you have been really eye-opening and impressive the first month of the season. When you're swinging, when you're hitting that ball, are you noticing any difference between the ball last year and this year? Yeah, of course. These big league balls definitely fly a lot further than the minor league balls. And you, I, I can just feel it from the first time we took batting practice that these balls are different. I've seen some stats on the AAA home run numbers so far, and they, they seem to be inflated by a lot. But um, yeah, I've been trying to take advantage of it, and it's been, it's been going well so far. For you, this year, you hit your first home run up in Buffalo. It was a pull to right center field. And then your next four were all opposite field, left center. Is that something that you've always done in your career, and you're starting to see the ball kind of head out of the ballpark in that way? I've always hit the ball pretty well to left field, but you know, with the new baseballs and then obviously working with Phil on a couple things, like my approach and my plan at the plate, it's definitely helped me, you know, get those fly balls to left field over the fence rather than getting caught by a left fielder. Infielder Goes Kato is our guest here on the pregame show. Something we didn't have a chance to, uh, to talk about on air necessarily a whole lot your experience writing for the Players' Tribune before the season. How did that opportunity come up with the retirement of Ichiro and just getting contacted and, and having that opportunity present itself for you? Yeah, I mean, that was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And uh, when they contacted me about potentially writing a piece on Ichiro, I was really shocked because I've been reading the Players' Tribune ever since it first came out. And I've read all those uh, things with Derek Jeter talking about Ichiro and all those things. And they're definitely from a different perspective. 
So um, it's been fun reading those, but then to actually write one was really an awesome experience. For people that haven't necessarily read that article, a Cliff Notes version, what is your relationship and connection with Ichiro? I came to the States when I was six years old. Basically, the basis of the article is about how Ichiro, through his play in baseball, let me kind of assimilate to the, to the American culture a little easier. And he just kind of shined on the field, and I, I wanted to be just like him. So um, that's, that's kind of like how it started. But um, eventually, as I, as I got drafted by the Yankees and then met Ichiro, I was able to work out with him in Japan. And uh, that, was, that was also another um, once-in-a-lifetime experience. You talk about coming over to the United States early when you were six years old. So I'd imagine that your parents, your family still has a lot of connections back in Japan. How often are you able to, to get back home, home for where your parents are? Yeah, so I, I used to go about twice a year back to Japan up until around high school when, uh, you know, when high school baseball started, I was kind of too busy to go back. So I'd go maybe once every two years. And then uh, now it's it's kind of hard with the season and then the off season's kind of for, uh, you know, getting getting better. But um, so I, I've been trying to go like once every three years now, but it's 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 an awesome experience to go back. I love I love going back to Japan. What is the town or city, wherever it is that you go back to, and what is that area of Japan like? Yeah, so my, my dad's side is from Tokyo, and my mom's side is from a little island called Sado in the Niigata prefecture, and uh, it's a very small island on the west side of Japan, and it's just full of nature, and it's totally different from where I live in San Diego, so it's a good contrast from where I usually live. What's a day like? When you go back and visit the family, you wake up in the morning, and what are some of those those things that you get to do there that you wouldn't do in San Diego? So it's funny because the gloves I always use, the fielding gloves, are made from a local baseball shop there. So I go over there, and then I sometimes hit, work out, and uh, you know, hang out with the guys over there. Obviously spend time with my grandparents, you know, go on some hikes there. It's, uh, it's awesome. I love it. Welcome back inside A Call Away. Adam Giardino with you, and it's time to take a look around the rest of the Yankees minor league. We've got updates and reports this week from Single A Charleston with their broadcaster Matt Dean, from Double A Trenton with John Moses, and our very own Adam Marco providing a report from here in AAA with Scranton Wilkesbury. Without further ado, Matt, you're up. With this look at the Charleston Riverdogs, I'm Matt Dean. The Riverdogs enter play Sunday in first place with a 23-18 record, having won 15 of their last 20 before dropping back-to-back extra-inning contests to Augusta on Friday and Saturday night at the Joe. This weekend, the Riverdogs have been managed by the Yankees field coordinator Jody Reed, filling in for Julio Mascara through Sunday, and the veteran of 11 Major League seasons talked about what makes the Yankees organization so special. That stint over with the Dodgers really opened my eyes to what we really do over here. The culture that has been created, the discipline, the respect, the overall attitudes and expectations of being a Yankee uh, as opposed sure. to somewhere else. It, it, it's amazing and it's, it's fun to be a part of. The former Major League second baseman is mostly known for his time with the Boston Red Sox, where he became one of just three players in club history to accrue three straight 40 double seasons. And Reed says some of his best games he remembers were against the Yankees. 
believe it or not, the guys that I actually hit best were <laughs> the Yankee pitchers. <laughs> I, for some reason, I loved hitting in Yankee Stadium and also, you know, Fenway Park because right. it suited my swing. But I loved hitting in Yankee Stadium because of that big black background. Mm-hmm. And, boy, you can see the ball really well. And, and again, I think just at that time, um, the late 80s and early 90s, uh, I, I think the Yankees pitching staffs weren't, you know, on par with what traditionally you think of. With the Trenton Thunder, I'm John Moses. This week, the Thunder dropped four games over three days in Harrisburg and took the first two games of their series with Binghamton before falling Saturday night by a score of 3-1. All's well in Trenton as the Thunder hold a half-game lead on the Rumble Ponies at the top of the Eastern Division with a 23-15 record. One of the Eastern League's best hitters this season has been first baseman Chris Gittens. Gittens enters play on Sunday as the league leader in on-base percentage and ranks in the top four in the league in a host of offensive categories. Manager Patrick Osborne has noticed a key adjustment in Gittens' game that has led to a strong start in his return season at AA. Biggest thing with Chris is he's he's commanding his strike zone better. He's which in basic terms it's he's swinging at better pitches. And a guy with his type of power, if he's swinging at good pitches, he's going to hit them. And with with the force that he swings the bat, he's going to do damage. And that's what you've seen so far. Uh, he's drawn his walks. He's he's put himself in a position to swing at good pitches. He's hitting them hard, and the results are showing up. With the Thunder. I'm John Moses. With this look at the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, I'm Adam Marco. On Thursday, the Rail Riders hit the quarter mile post of the 2019 campaign. A victory over the Indianapolis Indians put the club at 19 and 16, a three-game turnaround from where they were after 35 games last year when the club made the playoffs as the wild card from the International League North. Manager Jay Bell, while not fully satisfied with where the club is right now, also, not thoroughly disappointed either. Not totally disappointed with what we've done. We're, I think, uh, four games over 500, something like that, and we've actually played a pretty decent brand of baseball. We've had our share of moments where we haven't played very well, but uh, overall, the guys have been extremely competitive. They've gone out, they've worked hard, they've sought excellence every single day, and uh, they've let the results be what they were going to be. Bell knows in large part the early season results, not necessarily indicative of the team, but more so of the roster that he's been dealt because of injuries at the big league level. I understand we're exactly where we're at within the organization. We've got some guys that are that are here right now that uh, we're trying to find out if they can be uh, helped to the big league team at some point this year so that we can win a championship for the New York Yankees. You know, I certainly love to win here in Scranton but to help that team win. That's my objective, my priority every day, and uh, along with uh, making sure that uh, these guys are uh, continuing to go out given a great deal of effort for the organization, for the people, and uh, for the fans there in Scranton. With Scranton Wilkesbury, I'm Adam Marco. Big thanks to Matt, John, and Adam for getting us the reports this week. We also owe a big thank you to Jay Bell and Ghost K. Coteau for being our guests on the pregame shows this week. And thanks to you for tuning in and making a call away a part of your week. I'm Adam Giardino. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam Giardino, G-I-A-R-D-I-N-O. And you can... Catch Adam, Marco, and me for each and every Rail Riders broadcast beginning 30 minutes before first pitch with pregame coverage on the Rail Riders radio network, the TuneIn radio app, 
and on the MILB First Pitch app as well. Don't forget to subscribe, to rate, to review the podcast. We will talk to you again real soon.